Hey Kyle, it's Daniel. Just got done listening to your episode, The Outlaw Ocean, coming down out of the foothills surrounding Boise, Idaho, where I've spent the last couple of days camping. Listening to, as a journalist myself, and the surfer who used to live in Santa Cruz, you made me miss the ocean. But I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to go hop in a hot spring and hope you paddle harder next time. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for sending that in, Daniel. Sounds like your trip to Boise is going well. I love getting these messages from you guys, especially ones where you're out camping. It reminds me that I need to go camping more. It's motivating. If any of you want to send me a little voice memo, you can do it on your phone by clicking the Voice Memos app and emailing it to info at kyle.surf. Just let me know who you are, where you're listening in from. It is Christmas morning, and I had a wonderful evening. Last night, I went caroling with some of my best friends. and We would knock on doors, and they'd open them, and we'd say, Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. We were uh, on key. It took a, took a little bit of uh, warming up with the help of hot toddies. But by house number five, we hit full gallop. And a highlight of the evening for me was going to one house and then having the uh, folks in the house on cue sing a Swedish drinking song to us. Here's a clip. Indeed, it was a night to remember. At one point, we stopped by my buddy Shane's house. Shane is the founder of Mud Water, which is a chai mushroom blend, and they sponsor this podcast. And for this week's ad, I decided to do an interview with Shane while we were drinking hot toddies and caroling around town. Here's Shane. Shane, what is a good podcast you've been listening to recently? Uh, it's a new podcast. It's called the Joe Rogan Experience. I don't know if you heard about it. <laughs> Never heard of that Just one. kidding. But I actually recently listened to episode number 127, which is a throwback back in 2011 with uh, Aubrey Marcus. This is before, I think it was right around the time he started on it. And it was like the first podcast I ever listened to. The first podcast I brought over and showed to Kyle Tierman um, detailed Aubrey Marcus's first trip with uh, ayahuasca, and that's I listened what got to that us into that. That's what got us into it podcasting. Started the whole that thing, started yeah. the whole thing. And I recently came across it again and sent it back up to you and listened to it on the drive up to Santa Cruz. Well, that's also Christmas what took you doing going down to and the Amazon. Yeah, and three years, three or four years later, I was in Peru because of it, along with some other friends of ours too. Pretty, pretty wild. It was kind of the beginning of Mudwater too. Like, it seemed like a lot of the inception of that. I think that. podcasting in general, yeah, just opened up the doors. It was kind of like this university of thought and new substances to try and just people. You know, like, if you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, 
replace that fifth person with a podcast or a series of podcasts, <laughs> yes. you're going to be a pretty dope person, I feel like. Fuck so that's yeah. kind of what I've tried to do. I like that. Has there been a good quote you've been pondering recently? Mm. Kick today in the dick. I saw that on your coffee mug. It's my favorite pie. <laughs> I've told this story before, but Shane did introduce me to the first podcast I ever listened to, and it was episode 127 on Rogan, and he also did the art for this podcast. He did my cover. He was also the art director for the Motherfucker Awards, which is a comedy awards show many of you know about that I'm doing with my buddy Chris Ryan and currently we are editing those videos from the awards show and they will be out in the middle of january um it's all done we just wanted to wait until after the holidays for the big release so you can go to motherfuckerawards.com to check out more of that and if you want a great alternative to coffee you should go to mudwtr.com and check it out. I drink mud water every single day. It's super healthy, tastes great. Chai, uh, cacao, reishi, lion's mane. Um, I'm digging it, and it's helping me wean myself off coffee. Before we get this going, I also want to send a big thank you to Santa Cruz Medicinals, which is a CBD company that now sponsors me. Um, Santa Cruz Medicinals makes CBD coconut oil, CBD olive oil, which I use in salads, um, all kinds of just great products. And I I use it with mud water. Um, I think that the two go great together. So if you are sore, if you're looking for something that helps with inflammation, go to scmedicinals.com to check it all out. Um, And with that, I'd like to introduce my guest today. My guest today is Kai Lenny, as well as Jeff Clark. We did a three-way, um, and it was a blast. Jeff Clark discovered Mavericks and named the wave after his dog. And Kai Lenny is one of the best big wave surfers in the world. He's one of the best foil boarders, stand-up paddle boarders, kite surfers. He is the real-life Aquaman. And he's also a very thoughtful dude. Um, One thing I like about Kai is that he is interested in more than just surfing. He's curious, he's engaged, and he handles his platform very responsibly for such a young guy um he has a megaphone and he is a representative of our sport um and he takes that role seriously and he makes surfers look good so thank you for that kai we recorded this episode right on the tail end of all of those maverick swells we've been having so we did a little wrap up and uh i had a great time with both these guys so, without further preamble, please welcome to the show, Jeff Clark and Kai. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave and you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Welcome to the Kyle Tierman Show. Show. Which is a, that was pretty 
gentlemen, what a week of waves. What a week it was. What a week it was. <laughs> Four days. Yeah. The endorphins, the, uh, our, uh, you know, all that adrenaline is uh, finally dropping with the swell. Yes. With the swell. It usually does, right? Like you put it all on the line and then you're, you're. <laughs> well, like you were saying earlier, you know, every time you step in the water out here, you got to bring the game. You got to bring, bring the top of the game yeah and then there's the uh the trip hangover do you get trip hangovers when you go back to maui i usually and i think a lot of people get this but i usually and i don't want to say it's depression or anything but after being on such a high and having so much adrenaline and physically being depleted and everything it's almost like it's sad and boring everything gets boring again it's like i get home and like you know <clears throat> of course i'm training and i'm you know doing all this stuff like interviews and um talking with my sponsors and planning next trips and stuff but usually in my own head i'm just bored out of my mind and i'm like i gotta do something like on the edge but i can't because i'm like i gotta recover and i don't i don't have the adrenaline to keep going to keep going and yeah man you, you, I mean, you live such a fast-paced life i would imagine that it's difficult to even reflect on a past trip before you get to a new trip so it's interesting. I've been doing like, like daily every night. Like I've been keeping a journal since I was a little kid, like writing, but it got too hard. Cause I've been doing so much stuff that I can't write down and keep up. Like I'm usually so tired after I come in. So I do like a video log just for my own personal self for the future, or maybe my kids one day or their grandkids or whatever, just like a personal thing, like talking about my experiences in the day and everything. And I like, I do one every single night before going to bed. And you just, just keep it out for yourself. And I just keep it for myself. If I ever need to go back and refer to something, because I'll keep like really like detailed information. But so the point being is that um, basically the reason why I do that is because so much stuff happens that I don't like. I feel like if I can, if I talk about it, even just to myself, I'll remember it even more vividly and I won't, nothing will slip. I'll be like, God, that one time, like what did I do that one time? And, and I can always go, Oh, is this date when I right. did it? And I can like refer to it and like really like, and I'll do details on my equipment as well. Like, Oh, my board felt like this today. And so I can refer to that right. and see where I've kind of come. That's smart. So that next Mavericks, well, you could come back and think, and you could refer to a past uh, video log. Yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly what that it's meant for. And a lot of times I don't refer back to it, but I figured it'd be funny one day to look back and, you know, see where you came from, see where it came from. And then, you know, cause you don't, I don't think you register you changing until you're, you already changed a lot. Right. And then you look back at photos and you're like, God, I just, I don't remember being like that or changing that much till now. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you, you just, you're on such a fast pace that you next step, next step, next step. And it's like, maybe I need to, um, take a look back to go further that's it it's like that's exactly it i think so what would a video log from this past week look like it's super simple you know i just usually i'm so tired i just lay, when i'm laying in bed i'll just hold my phone in front of me and then just talk into it like as if i was writing a journal and i don't it's cool because i don't hold back at all like if i'm upset about something i'll just be upset about something and it gets off the chest too and it's it's just because I know it's only for me, you know, really. And yeah, it's smart. Or for someone else in the future. 
that if they're ever curious, you know, or mostly for me to reflect. Um, and yeah, like I have journals upon journals at home, but it was just too hard to keep up writing in them because I would be too tired. And then I never want to forget detail. And it's easier just to talk, like even doing it in a recording like this would be easier. Right. Or like the same. But what I like about the video too is I can see my face and I can see my expression. And then it'll be, you know, one day hopefully I look how. back. I'm like, God, I look younger now. You right. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can God, see. God, I was ugly. <laughs> God. That's smart, man. Um, also, because you, because it's only for you, you don't need to edit yourself. It's And, dude, I mean, you got you have so many interviews you have so much like you need to maintain a form of professionality in your external appearance having something just for you where you can say whatever you want and then keep that for yourself is um really smart thing to do yeah and definitely can see how you know like if you do something weird when you talk you know sometimes when you talk to people you'll do something like that you don't know you're doing like subconsciously. Yeah. And I've totally caught myself doing that going, God, that's really weird. Like I'm not going to do that anymore. And like fix little things that I think is that I don't like about, you know, my natural behavior right. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like I'm looking in the mirror and trying to like, you know, like model myself or whatever, but you're always looking for self-improvement in your life. You know, I feel like that's just life. So I was like, Oh, well like I can change that. It's like reflecting on your surfing footage too. Absolutely. You always want to do it better. You, you do. You always want to do it better. And, you know, reflecting back on uh, what you were talking about, um, the depression or the, you know, the winding down after a just an on fire week, like like Monday was 50 foot plus and really intense. And, uh, you know, and uh, a friend of mine who works in DNA sequencing, he was saying, you know, there are people out there that wake up happy. Like, like when you kick out of a wave, one of the best waves of the day, and that stoke that you feel, there are people out there that just wake up in the morning and are naturally that happy. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? And it just makes you, you know, he was saying that we have a gene or the extreme people that get depressed after or when the ocean that energy to challenge yourself and you know what we do isn't available it's like we're like bummed out we're slumped like, we're slumped yeah we're like man you're looking for that but you said most people that go to extreme lengths feel that sort of depression and he said it's weird. You kind of dig yourself a deeper and deeper hole every time you push yourself farther. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of like, you're like, I'm getting the rides of my life that, you know, like rides that very few people will, you know, in the human race will ever see or witness with your own eyes, you know, to be inside a huge cavern, like a barrel out of Mavericks or Jaws or wherever. But like, the problem is, is you, you keep pushing yourself to make it more intense because, you know my best ride out here was as intense as my first wave I ever paddled in out here at Mavericks. But my worst wave out here was probably the same wave that I caught, you know, at Mavericks my first time. And I didn't even bat an eye. I, it's honestly a forgettable wave. But so it's like that level of trying to like one step, one step up, one step up. And, and it's like, I don't know, it's, it's sort of the human brain has like an addiction thing. You know, I never felt like I've been, have an addicted personality except for 
that feeling of progressing and like, you know, putting it all on the putting line, it all on the line, putting it all to the test. It's like, man, I can get better. I think I can do this and, and, and train and, and just the mental preparation that you go through before you ever get in the water. You're, you're like, you're already seeing yourself do it before you get in the water. And, and it's that you haven't done it, but I think I can do it and I'm going to try it. Well, that kind of segues into like, like we were talking earlier about, um, uh, you know, that book can't hurt me, um, by, uh, David Goggins, David Goggins. Yeah. And, and it, you know, he really explains like through his life story, um, which I really highly recommend that book, audio book, which is what I'm in the middle of right now. But like, he explains that. And then there's other movies. Like as a kid growing up, I was just fascinated by big waves and Mavericks was one of those places I always wanted to come. And it was because of like that film by Stacy Peralta riding giants with, you know, Jeff's story of surfing out here for 15 years before anyone joined him. You know, it was like a movies like that, that kind of like, you know, can inspire you and kind of like help you get into the mindset of how to do it. And then, following that like the latest movie i watched before monday's big swell was that the dawn wall and i thought of all the movies i've ever watched in my life it it perfectly personified even though it's rock climbing and like totally different than what i do it was parallel to what i do or like how my mindset is sometimes you know so well so you know, this guy, Tommy Caldwell, who's like one of the best climbers of all time, he basically, you know, he went through a lot. He got, you know, kidnapped by terrorists with his um, then girlfriend and, uh, you know, buddies up in Kyrgyzstan. I never knew you were kidnapped by terrorists as a yeah. child, Kai. Yeah, no, not me, but <laughs> right, him, right? Yeah, it's like, but like... <laughs> the parallels. No, no, but it's like... Sure. So, no, it's just like, you know, that was like his kind of tough, the tough... Uh, kind of this tough thing he had to deal with. And then like that sort of came back to haunt him and um, his girlfriend who ended up becoming his wife, who they got divorced and, and he put all his energy into rock climbing and climbing the Dawn wall, which is on El Cap. um, You know, the one impossible wall that no one ever thought was possible. And it's the first bit of light that hits that, that, you know, big wall is right there. That's what they call it. The Dawn wall, obviously. So, no, but it was just like when he spent three years trying to figure out how to climb it and he was sleeping on the wall. He was like rappelling down it. He was climbing portions, assisted, you know, like, and then he finally was able to do it three years later. And that level of dedication, though, I haven't had that opportunity to do three years of committed to one thing like that, where you're like focused on one particular thing. It was pretty fascinating because I, I, I felt like on a smaller level, I've done that in a way, but it inspired me to do even more. And right. that's what I'm talking about. It's like, we're talking about like social media and the superficial sort of inspiring quotes, which are cliches and they don't really help you. They kind of almost make you feel worse because you don't maybe as a human feel that way. That same way as that quote is meant to tell you or whatever. And this breaks it down. And that's yeah. the parallels I found, not with his, him, what he'd done. But, but you like, like to break stuff down. Yeah, break stuff down. Yeah, so. you're very nuanced yeah. in your approach. You're and not just out there going and sending it. Like, I can tell when we were out there last night, there were a few waves that you caught, and you're still in those last moments deciding whether or not you want to go. You're not just being like, okay, I'm going to go no matter what. And it's because you've thought about it, and you're continuing to think about it in a way that you know, it would take all of that preparation beforehand and that journaling that you do 
Oh yeah. You, you know, know what I mean? I mean, I've I never got into big waves to ever um, you know, compete or for anyone to even see it. It was just Jaws was in my backyard and I saw my heroes doing it and I just wanted as a kid you want to be a superhero. You want to be like your superheroes and those guys were in front of me and it's like you're right. most impressionable by who you surround yourself with really and right. as a kid that you know helps your development and on as you grow up and i've always come in a really calculated fashion like any wave i go for if i don't go it's because i didn't think i could make it but if i go i'm planning on making it no matter what and if i don't it's because the wave did something i didn't see coming or i couldn't have avoided but I, I make waves to, or I try to ride waves to make waves. Like, right. You know, it's where, like, where that preparation comes in is like you prepare for every scenario. Like the last wave you got uh, the other night on uh, Monday, spin and went, and I'm sitting there going, oh man, that's n- no. But his preparation and him knowing his equipment so well. He knew that the thing stood up and and it was pulling him upwards and throwing out over him as he hit his feet. And but his board fit. He he knew that was gonna fit. The thing threw so hard it threw him off the face of the wave and flew through the air. But see he you know, he's gone through that scenario and to on other sports, whether it be kiting, windsurfing, um, that free fall is he knows how to find the fall line and find that center flying through the air. Right. And did you feel good about your performance this last week? Um, I def I was, I definitely felt like I got the waves that I really wanted to, but the thing is I'm such a perfectionist that I usually come in like now, you know, unless I get a really, really crazy ride, I'm like, gosh, I feel like I could do way better. You know, in my mind, I have this kind of like status. You're not the biggest fan of yourself. No, I'm like, God, like (laughs) I I should have been going deeper, man. And I should have been bottom turning and I should have been like hitting that whitewater crumble off the top and then coming into the bowl. You know, like that is my vision. There's stepping stones to it. In big wave surfing, there's so much on the line. One wave can level you for the entire year. Right. Um, but you know, with having you know the knowledge of Jeff Clark and um, you know the the safety vests we have, it's easier to avoid catastrophe. Right. Um, mainly because we get the you know I'm able to get mentored and tipped into like okay like these are the ways you kind of want to look for. Right. Is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, looking back, it's kind of a crapshoot big wave surfing sometimes. You know, you can have, like, a complete vision or, like, a plan, and 99% of the times it goes south. Like, it doesn't happen the way you expect it. But I think what I've learned is instead of expecting something, you just got to be ultra adaptable, and you've got to be willing to think fast on your feet and not... um, not get too stuck into one thing. Like there's one way, one approach by some of the best big wave surfers is they'll sit for one particular wave. For me, I don't like doing that. I want to ride waves. Like I just want to ride waves and, and get in a rhythm to where maybe that perfect wave will come in and I will be in that, that cycle. Like I don't like just sitting and going cause I'm trying to like with each wave I ride, try to get a little bit better, a little better. So when that really good one comes, I'll have a, all up. the confidence in the world, but then 
I'll be like, oh, my, I, I'll be at that point in my brain where I can turn now because those other ways I wasn't turning hard enough in my, and I was upset by that. <laughs> like, I got to turn harder. Right. One thing you said uh, earlier when we were just eating about David Goggin's book is that he never takes a day off. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. Like he was just talking about like never taking a day off and um, he takes his heart rate every morning and kind of it's a, it, it sort of tells him how he's going to run like his day. So he'll have like an active rest day, which is essentially like instead of going for what he would typically do is like a marathon run, he might go for a six mile run. But maybe that's all he does in that day. But he's always doing something. You know, he's never just leveled. And I can't say necessarily that I do that. Usually I run myself dry and I'll just blow out for a day. But then, you know, I'll feel really guilty mentally. I'm like, ah, I got to get back out there and go do my but thing. But even when you blow out for a day and you just like chill, your mind, it never stops. Never stops. You're grinding on that. I could have done that better. I could have done that better. I'm going to try this angle, you know, it, you, you never rest. Well, wouldn't you say Jeff, since you started, you probably watched Mavericks for the equivalent of like three years trying to figure it out. Absolutely. And then you went out, surfed it for 15 years, finally convinced somebody to come out there with you. And then now you're on to like sort of this next frontier of foiling and going really fast and riding the unrideable in a different way. And like we were talking in the harbor, it's like, oh my gosh, I gotta like, I gotta my get get my ski tuned back up because I have like seven foils that I need to go in and out of this harbor to try, and like it, like you said, it never stops. And you've been at this surfing thing for, you know, forever, forever, like yeah, for fifty years of water time, and this has sparked the interest of my mind so hard foiling and uh right there. There you go. with oh. the uh you know like we went out the other day and i go yeah i think this will work this way they're gonna put the things together and i got out there and my foot straps of all things kept me from flying properly that's when we were under the golden gate right um out, oh, in, no, the, out in the potato patch out, way you guys just foil at the golden gate yeah so we had Maybe. a little adventure the other day <laughs> Can we say that? I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be on my Instagram, so, <laughs> so probably. <it's> <laughs> it was insane. No, so like after that big Monday swell, it was, you know, gigantic or whatever. We're like, we checked Mavericks and honestly, on the next day and we're like, oh, it's not that big. It's like, you're kind of jaded at that point. Like what is big and what isn't? It was still huge. Like I saw photos later and felt FOMO to the max. But we decided to go foiling at the potato patch outside of Ocean Beach, which is basically just some rogue waves way out in, um, you know, off of Ocean Beach, like a mile and a half. And it was just so rough. And, you know, it was like a cool experience. But we ended up going to smoother waters and catching these swells under the Golden Gate Bridge with our foils. And, you know, it was just such a contrast. But at the same time, it was just as exhilarating because on a foil, you're, you know, I had a really tall mass. I had a mass that's like four feet tall. So when you fall going that fast, like I got worse whiplash foiling that day than I did that's at Mavericks, yeah. which is weird. Absolutely. Like you're just as scared foiling going that fast on a 10 foot swell as you are like at Mavs sometimes. So it's, that's, I think why we like foiling though, because it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous, I guess, depending on how you push it, but I think most importantly is it it's sort of like a way to reenact 
the those Mavericks days when you like obviously surfing big waves is like there's nothing more exhilarating than that I think you know like to be that commitment but it doesn't happen every day you know frick I think this has been like two years since I've gotten Mavericks this good you know like last year I didn't get it good at all there was days but I just wasn't here because I was at Jaws or wherever and so it doesn't happen that much foiling we can replicate it on every, any given day or that fear factor or right. that speed and yeah how uh, right. how long and, have you been foiling almost two years but you know i said it's dangerous it's not dangerous it's exciting it feels dangerous and it depends it's it like just feels edgy you it's know? like it, surfing you push yourself yeah it's like surfing where surfing mavericks is dangerous and surfing inherently can be dangerous because you're in like this you know body of water but riding a knee-high wave isn't as dangerous as maverick so it's how you push the sport you know with foiling and like knee-high waves isn't dangerous at all it's like fine it's like falling in a swimming pool yeah but when you go to the potato patch outside Mile of ocean and a beach half offshore with a bunch of great whites and you're going 45 miles an hour on a mass that is you know you're flying four feet in the air above the water and you know falling at that speed it it's like falling on a big wave but that's what's cool about foiling like surfing where there's a dynamic range of the extremes you can have it mellow or you can have it crazy right you can pick your poison but it it's something that we talked about before when you're looking for something to do when the waves aren't big you can go out and ride four foot waves and go 25 miles an hour yeah and something for me it's something to suck at and get good at like the progression oh being a kook is so fun it's so fun yeah it's crazy because like when you're a little kid or whenever you learn how to surf, you have like this sort of frustration level. Like I want to be good so quick. And I think you miss the joys of actually learning like that surf, learning how to surf and progressing really quick, which gets way harder as you get better is, um, it's the most thrilling thing in the world, but you kind of take it for granted cause you don't know any better. And I know so many ex pro surfers or, you know, older surfers that have been surfing forever like two two of my lifetimes and they relearn how to surf through foiling and they've never been happier they've never enjoyed a non-breaking high wave as much as they ever have and they always tell me it's like you know what i loved most is learning how to surf again truly learning how to surf again and having that stoke for a wave that is you know by for most people's standards like they wouldn't even bat an eye yeah and that is cool because when you get good at surfing and you're used to getting the best of the best waves you end up like you know you're not seeing you don't see those other time they're unicorns it gives you a chance to fall in love with the ocean again straight up you have a high standard of what you'll get in the water for and a foiling eliminates that completely it's no high like, standards <laughs> no high standards. low standards <laughs> oh look at that little mushy indo in your mind is what you're thinking yeah jeff um so when you started surfing Mavericks, you were riding the left quite a bit. And this last week, we saw some amazing left rides go down. I mean, guys like Lucas Chumbo are getting barreled. Guys like Nick Von Rupp. What's it like for you to see this kind of reignitement of the left? It's it's so awesome to see these guys charge in the left. You know, I've told them, man, if you can get on the face, you're going to make it. The wave naturally spins that way set your rail and um to watch it happen over this last this last week yesterday today uh 
guys pulling off the bottom like it's pipe, just the lip just missing them and coming out the end. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. You know, I, I've stood in there before and, um, you know, like a lot of people didn't, didn't go left period for like 10 years. It'd be the rare toe wave that was somebody would go left. It's funny because like a lot of talking with the boys out on the water, you know, like Lucas, Chumbo, Gianca and uh, Nathan Florence and Co Rothman and Nick Von Rupp and Tori Meister and all those guys. We were like, we were kind of laughing because it's like really in reality, this Mavericks is like a left, but it's like so slabby that the entry is harder and we the right is still really good, too. But if that wave was like in Western Australia everyone would just be towing on like short ropes with like 10 foot ropes and just only going left. And it would just be a slab wave. Like it wouldn't be considered necessarily like, like it would be a big wave, but it'd be considered in the slab category of surfing. More. Right. Cause it's like, it's a giant slabbing pipeline morphed wave. And, um, and the way to approach it is you need to have a, like a nine foot board if you're paddling. And that's gnarly to figure out how to ride a nine foot board. Like you would, a six six at pipe, right? But that's the scale difference. Yeah, uh, you know the old uh, parable of the blind mice that are feeling the elephant, and one says, "Oh, it's the leg; it's like a pillar," and the other holds the tail and said, "Oh, it's like a snake." And the point is that none of them are are pulled back enough to see the full shape of the elephant. I feel like that's similar to Mavericks, where everyone sees this elephant from a different light. Like some guys only see the right. Or some guys like Chumbo, they see a left. Or yourself, you when see this left. When I started watching it from the north side, all I saw was this big old looping left. And I'm like, I can ride that. I'm a natural goofy foot. And it's like, I fit there. I can see myself doing that. Right. And the first wave I got, I, I just lined myself up, set my landmarks, you know, watching where the white water was, where the peak was. And it's like, okay. It's time to go watching the crease, that little vein in the face of that wave. That's like, that's going to be my earliest entry. If I can get rec, you know, and watching it long enough so that you could recognize that vein in every wave. And if I was there, I'd go yeah. just head down on the face. I'm going right. And you make it. Yeah, man. What was some of the advice that you gave Kai when you guys started hanging together? Um, just, we're going to try and find good waves. That's about it. Well, it's interesting. Cause, um, like on this one in particular, I had the honor of being towed in by Jeff and there's no one I trust more to on tell Monday. Me. Yeah. On Monday. Yeah. Um, there's no one more, there's no one I would trust more than Jeff to tow me in because in tow and surfing, you are only as good as your driver and where your driver puts you is typically like you can either fade or you can, you know, go down the line, but for the most part, you get put in the spot. And and out at Mavericks, towing, it's a different approach. The wave feels so different from paddling to me, like completely different. It it just seems like this hot spot of a big wave, whereas when you're paddling, there's more space that you have to cover. So that being said, like I, I, just by Jeff towing me into these waves, by the time I transitioned to paddling, I even had a better idea of what was makeable and what wasn't on that big day. It was like, all right, like, I see the waves he's looking for. Now I know what, what to look for, you know? Cause it's like, it's like that experience is in big waves is what allows you to get into the proper spot. 
you can get lucky, but a lot of times you get unlucky too. Right. It just gives you a chance to ride more waves. Right. It out. Yeah. And so the towing, I, that's why I always love towing is because you get that instant experience, you know, like really quick. And then when you go to paddle, you have something to kind of mirror, like image off of. Right. Yeah. We were, you know, putting in with towing, you can get in deeper and early you get to really assess what the wave is doing as it starts to you know you're coming deeper than the left so you're watching that left start to slab and want to go into you as you're looking down and around that bowl for at the wall running down the reef and it gives you just a really cool perspective of the whole picture of how that energy is unloading yeah yeah man you guys get deep into it, man. It's not just like paddling into a wave and riding it. It's you guys are you know, tacticians. I'm, I'm like I said. You get, you know, people go, oh yeah, I must have been so scared the first time you surf Mavericks. It's like, no, I've been watching this for so long. Today's the day I want it more than anything, and nothing's going to keep me out of the water. Yeah, you know, and scared? No, calculate? Absolutely. Do I have a good approach of how I'm going to? go out there and do this. Yeah. I've been in situations like this before. I know how to put myself in that box outside the tip of that reef. Give me the best shot at making it. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I don't know if you agree with this, but like oftentimes I find myself like playing a wave so much in my head that eventually I get the wave that mirrors the exact image and that I've been thinking about in my head, like the exact lip line, my exact approach, even the boats and the channel and like, Sometimes you do it and you've thought about so much that when you actually, when, when it happens, you go through the motions. It's not like that new. And I've had crazy waves where I'll kick out and it feels good, but I almost need the reaction from everyone else to know if it was like really that big of a wave or if I was that barreled or if I did that crazy of an error or a turn, you know, and, and to see the reaction of other people, it's like, it kind of will validate, not because I'm looking for that pleasure of like, um, you know, like, Oh, I'm so awesome or whatever. It's more like, all right. Like I'd played this so much. It's kind of become redundant in my head that was that really like, did I do it? You know, like, Oh yeah. Kind of like a bounce back. Totally. It's hard to yeah. tell. Oh yeah. When I was four- like, was that good or not? Well, let me tell you <laughs> yeah. uh, a little fable gentlemen. When I was 14 years old, I got the best barrel of my life in Santa Cruz. I came out both hands over my head, looked into the beach. Our filmer was there. I was like, ran. I was like, did you get it? Oh my God. They're like, Oh, I don't know if I got it. Like we'll check later in the footage. So I get a call later that night and all my friends were like, Kyle, we got your barrel on film. Come over right now. I'm like, dad, you need to drive me to my friend's house right now. They got my barrel. They sit down. This is like VHS recorder. Kyle, we have it on TV. Are you ready? I'm like, I'm ready. (laughs) They press play. And there is a person that looks a lot like me. And he goes butt up, head down, gets hit in the head with a lip, stands straight up and puts both of his arms over his hands. Dang it, that was me. I'm like, that wasn't me, you guys. That was definitely not me. That was you, Kyle. So you do need the validation because we can get drunk on ourselves. Oh, my gosh. For me, it's actually the opposite a little bit. Sometimes I'll be like... Everyone will be telling me, oh, that was so crazy. Like, that was an awesome wave or whatever. And I'll look at it and I'll be like, oh, it's, I thought the, the wave felt so much bigger, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, 
oh my god i it it just always feels way more nuts is the, right. the moral of the story here <laughs> well yeah, it's when guys said you know i i'd they'd go yeah i just got the sickest barrel i go could you see the wave on the beach side of you if you can't that's not a barrel right oh man no i was in the barrel i saw it over my head you know and i was pretty demanding on myself too unless i could see the the whole cocoon unless you're like floating or for me unless i'm floating on the foam ball and like i'm i'm about to eat it the entire way as and big waves especially too because like the barrels are so big that like you'll see the lip go over you and you'll see the lip kind of land like to your left a little bit, but then you see the footage or photos right. and you don't, the way if the barrel was smaller, you'd be completely covered, right. but it's so big that this cave, you can see yourself too clearly. Like, dude, you got to fully disappear. And to do that, you yeah. got to be like almost eating it the whole way. Right. And well, that's like a higher feeling anyway. One thing yeah. I've noticed about you though, Kai, is that as we talked about, like you, you you're hard on yourself and you want to have a sober view of how you did and you have a lot of people who will tell you that you're the man you've got a lot of energy coming at you people like dude that's awesome so to have a sober reference of how you actually did and have people around you who can tell you what it really was i would imagine is really important and the second thing that i've noticed is that you you actively engage in worlds outside of surfing. Like you read books that aren't, have nothing to do with surfing. You watch rock climbing stuff to like, and I don't know if you do it to give yourself perspective and not get drunk on this whole world, but like I can tell that you actively push against that. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I think that goes back to, um, you know, like I'm my own worst critic for sure. But this goes back way to before I was a part of the surfing world at all. You know, I've always in my mind, in, <clears throat> in my mind, I've always felt like I was a part of the surfing world because first thing I did was learn how to surf four years old, caught my own wave. And from then I was chasing this thrill of, you know, that that first drop you have. Right. And um, but to be accepted into the tribe, surfing is really hard to break into, especially if you're coming from alternative beginnings. Growing up on Maui, you know, I was really heavily involved in kite surfing when it first came out. Windsurfing um, was a big part of my upbringing as well. Stand up paddling, all these things that at the time were more than ever like references on cool. Yeah. And so that instantly kind of made me an enemy before anybody It was like rollerblading in elementary school. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guess, you know, it felt way more radical than that. But I mean, <laughs> hey, not, bro. Hey, not to take anything away from rollerblading. <laughs> I've actually seen guys do crazy stuff, crazy but it's perspective. Shit. That's all I'm saying. Like it's perspective on it. Right. Yeah. Like, um, I was teasing. And so like where I grew up, at Okipa, it was really hardcore surf mentality. Like, in hardcore to the point, like, if you broke down your windsurfing equipment and ended up on that side of the windsurf, on that side of Hokipa Beach, you get rocks thrown at you and, like, verbally abused. <laughs> and as a kid, I got, like, rousted hard. And I would, every morning, I would surf over, you know, at the pavilions with all the boys, all the mokes, never accepted. I would get dropped in on, as a kid, like, a little kid, and, like, verbally abused bad. You know, a couple times where it was just like, but it, I, I grew tough skin and I, it's not that I didn't care what anyone thought, but I realized that I'm like, they're never going to like me and I don't really want to be liked by them for that reason. And that lesson was do what, 
do what I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anyone or affecting anyone negatively. So, okay, coming back around full circle, that being said, um, like to be, to get, when I get all this praise and stuff, it's hard for me to believe because most of my upbringing was like, no, no, you, you're not that good. And it's like to try to overcome that and be like, all right, like I actually did something cool. And I've come to the point where I don't want to think that I've done good enough because for me, I know in my heart when I kick out a wave that even if it was the best wave I've ever had on Mavericks, which (laughs) I had one of those, I know it's not where my mind is like the level of where I think I can be one day. So I, I just stay true to myself, you know, like that's it. No, that's smart. True to yourself, honest with yourself. Um, they, there's, there's a huge, uh, thing about humility that, um, I think, you know, we know that the ocean is, is a lot more powerful than us. And the, the, you know, we've been given these gifts to, express our feelings through the canvas of, you know, whether it's kiting, windsurf, um, paddling, just to experience nature and, and then surfing to experience the power and to be able to dance with that power. And, you know, you're constantly pushing yourself and, and the ocean will never let you get complacent. As soon as you get complacent, you're done. First thing I learned about the ocean is you'll never win. It's just about being in sync with it, right. going with the flow. Yeah. Do you, Kai, feel like if you ever give yourself a chance to feel like you're good enough, that will lessen your drive? Um, I I don't think so. Well, actually, yeah. You know, I I will say for sure because my driving force for forever has been I've I've pictured where. I'd want to be, you know, like the dream place, like that dream level. And every time I've sort of hit that mark where I've dreamt of doing a particular thing, by that time, by the time I complete it, I've already kind of set another standard. And it does, you know what? It really helps when you have these guys that are pushing you, you know, like I've always noticed this. Every time I get into a a, a sport or whatever, like, or a new sport, especially growing up, I'd always have like this crazy rivalry with someone and not like in a bad way, a healthy one where it's like, it kind of sucks because you have to compete against this person and they can beat you. And oftentimes they do, but what's, I would not, I wouldn't want it any other way because they force you to go to a level you couldn't go to on your own. And so this kind of new generation of big wave surfers, you know, like someone like Lucas Chumbo or Nathan Florence and Nicole Rothmans. And you know, there's many other guys I'll be there and, they're pushing it so hard and they're I see that and oftentimes I always think they're way better than me I'm like god those guys are way better than me but like I have to think like I'm so competitive by nature mainly with myself that I have to rise to that occasion and then you know maybe I'll get an opportunity to go past them but then those guys the very next session or competition will smoke me or whatever or I'll feel that way yeah and then it's like it's that driving force so it's always I think really important in life and really hard to handle the challenge of it. But when you, when you have someone that's better than you or that inspires you and they basically maybe not force you, but like they inspire you to go to that next level. You didn't think you could go on your own. Yeah. It's an interesting balance, man. I have a chance to sit down with a lot of great people who have achieved many things on this podcast. And that 
Um, self-critic is something that I think that most of them have. I just did an interview with a Rolling Stone journalist named Matt Taibbi, who is, um, he's like one of the most well-known investigative journalists since Hunter S. Thompson. And he's done a ton of work to bring down the banking scandal in 2008. He's an amazing writer. And I asked him, I was like, what, how is the conversation in your head? And he's like, it's basically horrible. Like, I fucking kind of hate myself a little bit, but I use it as the driving force to take down the banks. And he said, I feel like if I, in his own words, said, like, if I like myself too much, my writing will become boring. It's a really interesting, same with, I haven't had a chance to. human elements. Yeah, well, I haven't had a a chance to interview Michael Jordan, but I hear that that dude just stays in a room and does Sudoku puzzles all day long now. He's like so hyper competitive and he can't go outside because he's too famous. And so he just, he just stays. He did an interview where he said that like Mike, I'm so competitive. It's basically like ruined my life and I'm still that competitive. So I don't know what the healthy balance is. Like, how do you, it all looks, I think a certain way on the surface to everyone. Right. But in reality, like, some of the most, some of the most fantastic artists, um, musicians, um, athletes, people, are sort of tormented inside, and it's this driving force. And what they're tormented by, I don't know. You know, it's everyone has sort of a different thing, and it could just be, you know, I think it's this human nature to survive, and we we live in sort of a lap of luxury compared to our ancestors. There's a competitive nature also coming from a guy like Michael Jordan Jordan that is it's time it's a court it's it's that where pressure, pressure uh, the mutual um, the mutual respect and rivalry that you find in big wave surfing I think brings you know if it's a health, healthy rivalry that spurns a a drive in you that I, I think it's a really healthy one and it's a competitive one because you're now you're in a medium that changes all the time. The ocean, it's it's got different power, um, size. I mean, it's the medium's different, right? So it's, it's different and like super similar at the same time, which is right. really weird. I'll just tell you like um, sort of a situation that happens a lot with this new crew of big wave paddle surfers, you know, like, and we've been doing the big wave world tour, traveling all over the world from Nazare to Jaws to here in Mavericks. And this situation happens a lot where you're sitting out the back, you're with these guys and you're looking over at them. They're looking over at you and you're like, what is this guy going to do? Like, like, Oh, here comes a giant set and you see the fire in their eyes and they commit to it, you know, and they go, and you're looking over the ledge at them go on this wave that just looks like death. And you're like, if, if you went, if you fall, you're going to die. And then they go and sometimes they, they'll get blown out the other end and you'll just be like, oh my God, you're like super stoked for them. At the same time, you're like rattled because you're like, you know, <laughs> there's going to be, a, yeah, you know, there's going to be another set and you, there's, there's no one telling you, you have to do that. But in our competitive nature, you, you see that and you're just put your head down and you're going, oh, damn it. Right. Like, okay. And then you're just, you're trying to will the courage and all this and they're paddling back out and a bomb comes and you see it and you block everything out in your brain and you commit to it and you experience what they just did. And sometimes you'll just absolutely get detonated and you'll come up feeling kind of like 
you're proud that you went, but at the same time kind of discouraged because you didn't make it because, you know, he probably would have made it if you went. But then at the same time, when you when you back someone else's ride up and you almost do a better one and you see it in their eyes and you get really competitive, like, I mean, it was so funny because it's pretty crowded in big wave paddle surfing now. And the amount of jockeying that goes down for the best wave of the day is insane compared to when I even started paddle surfing. Like so many guys want it. So many of my, um, you know, peers want it. And we were all like competitive with just one another and like the 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 it's just funny so that's just that situation where like like oh my gosh i'm i've put myself into the corner of this wall like how did i get myself into this mess yeah yeah it has a lot of similarities to other sports the difference though that i would say is that it's like if at any point in a basketball game a tiger could come across the court and take someone down and within big wave surfing Everyone knows that. And I think that there is something that's real about that bond because, you know, at any point, if someone goes down, someone blacks out underwater, the session stops and you're going to have their back. And I think one of the most beautiful things that we're seeing in the sport right now are the um, big wave safety courses where you see all these guys in a room and you know that even though you have a healthy rivalry out there, if something bad happens, you're all going to have each other's back. And I think that that's the, that's the healthy part of what we have going on. here. I think as much as people want to catch the best wave, if someone goes down, they have that same drive to even paddle into the impact zone and bear hug you, take your leash off if you're unconscious, like, and dive you through a wave. Like, like there's, I, I've seen it happen where, like a situation goes really wrong and I'm getting ready to, to like, Oh, go help. And guys are on it so fast who are closer and they do it, you know? And, and they're just the level, the response time is much greater than in the past where someone might not be found for 20 minutes. And that's happened out here, unfortunately. Yeah. This is a a brotherhood as much as it is rivalry. And, um, when, when somebody gets in trouble, there aren't any waves. It's all about getting that person to safety. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's cool to see that, you know, y- you can be looking around out there and then you, you see all the guys that were in the course a few weeks earlier and you're like, OK, this is great. This makes me feel a little bit safer because you know that more people have done that kind of preparation and it's an amazing skill man i i think that like dude if there was a a billboard that should be put up on the side of a highway it's take a cpr class tomorrow i mean they should be doing cpr should be like the one thing you remember out of high school yeah you taught me trigonometry but i still can't do cpr cpr is the key i mean that's yeah Absolutely. But you know what, too, is great about those safety courses, even more than knowing that you can save someone else, is you have this self-confidence that you can get yourself out of bad situations. And I always told myself, I kind of made a vow before I started going after big waves, like with a crazy passion, was I'm never going to put myself in a position where I don't think I can swim myself out. If all else fails, jet skis are gone, they don't see me, I don't have a flotation vest. I, I, I truly have that belief that I can get myself to the beach on my own in any situation I put myself in. And the good thing about that is these people, the people that are doing these courses and get this experience from the wise ones that drop that knowledge down, 
I think they feel the same way to a certain extent, maybe more than others. And um, that that just right there, these bad situations are pure or are avoided. Like they're kind right. of what used to happen a lot more doesn't happen as much because people sort of have like this quick reaction to it. Right. Do you, you have know? a worst wipe out of your life? I've, I've never been good at really knowing if I got the wave of my life or the worst wipe out of my life. Cause I always feel like it's yet to come. Right. Like on the trajectory that I have myself going, it's like, I haven't experienced it yet, but up to this point, I can say the worst wipe out I've ever had was out at jaws and basically getting a hold down for a minute. I've never really, I've only had a couple two minute hold or uh, two wave hold downs, but I've had multiple one minute hold downs. That's with inflation fully pulled and like just not coming one up. One minute or one wave? One minute. One minute. Getting dragged from the peak at Jaws to the rocks and popping up and seeing a huge boulder in front of me and <clears throat> reviewing the footage coming to find it was like, I've had, you know, 54 seconds in the water, 101 underwater, 58 you know like three I actually had two in one day out at Jaws once but I just remember I've never once knock on wood um in my life thought I was gonna die though I've never once felt that this was it I've always been like I get to this weird irritated point underwater where I'm like ah, oh, this is this is stupid like <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm so over this as soon and I'll I make a plan like what I'm gonna do when I come up I literally am I'm like gonna get so much Taco Bell no after no this. I'm like I literally like I remember this one at Jaws it was it was when Aaron Gold and Pedro Colado caught their like 80 foot waves paddling like the biggest paddle day ever at Jaws still until the next one right and I just remember waiting for so long because it was doubling up so long because or so bad because the the long period and what happens is you get this chip shot in but then you airdrop the rest of the wave 40 feet into the flats and this is why all my deck or all my guns have deck pads now because the wax went bad after like eight hours of being in the water like it kind of gets slippery after a while you know from just being on it um and I remember airdropping, landing, front foot slips off, tomahawking, getting held down for a minute, pressed to the bottom, scorpion, pulling my vest, and being underwater and just thinking, oh, like, I already got smoked this day, too. Oh, this is so inconvenient. Like, what am I? Oh, this is so dumb. Okay, as soon as I get up, I'm going to get on the jet ski. I'm going to go to the boat. If anyone tells me to go back out there, I'm going to be like, nope. I'm going to eat some burritos, drink some water, maybe have a Red Bull. I'm going to go in. First thing I do when I get in. Nice, pro gonna... nice products plug there right now. <laughs> no, but... this is like, no, I'm telling the absolute like run for run what I remember. Like what I do. I'm going to go in. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to watch Netflix and I'm just going to lay there and I'm going to do nothing that's like feels this way. Right. right. <laughs> and then before I knew it, I was on the surface. And then as I was riding the sled, I'm like, oh, like, ah, maybe I'll off a burrito. And ah, I kind of, I, I can't go in. Like, ah, I can't go in, you know, like get to the boat. And I'm like stuffing the burrito down my mouth. I can't and I'm end like, on that one. And I'm like, oh, I got to go back out, you know, like freaking out. Fuck, Albie got a good one. I'm out there. Oh, no, it's not even that. It was just like, I see such good waves. I'm like, I can't go in. Like, I will, I'm, I will be depressed if I go in right now and there's daylight. <laughs> right. It's like so funny. Yeah, it is funny. The uh, I think that's a very accurate uh, uh, storytelling of what actually happens underwater. Like it, it's you're so irritating. Well, it's you're so easy irritated. to make it feel ultra spiritual. Like I said, I get down there and I go to my meditative, happy place. Like no, I'm like 
I'm irritated and I'm like, shit, I, oh, I got to fill my car up with gas later. And like, shit, am I going like to get dumb audited? things run yeah. through your mind? Yeah. I go to the Is couch. Is that guy still mad at me? I don't know. <laughs> I go to the couch. I, I pull out the channel changer and I just start going through the channels and I can't find the channel I want. So I just keep going and going and going. And then then sled shows up or I come up and have to swim in. I think everyone has some sort of like kind of weird sort of like throwback to what they were doing before, what they're going to do. Right. You know, it's like, ah, you know, you go through your agenda sort of thing or you stay calm. You know, that's the most important thing is to relax and just kind of go with the motions. But on those really bad ones, when you, when you know you're not coming up, the best thing to do is not to think about where you are and just to, take yourself somewhere else i think. I was out at cortez bank and i was so seasick it was a last minute trip rolled out there and with healy's driving and he goes you're going first it took me 15 20 minutes to put my wetsuit on i was so seasick i get on the sled or on the ski and we're bouncing out there and i'm like you know Tow me around a little bit i got to try and clear my head you know and uh i forgot that you know Cortez Bank is this big mountain of water that doesn't hit a shelf and slow down, right? So I turn and go up the face, and I realize that I, I needed to just be running out in front of this foam ball down this, it was like 50, 60 feet. Mountain. Mountain, and the snow cap is avalanching, and it's, I just remember being surrounded by white water and going, really, this is how my day's going to begin? Yeah, it's like, this is so mildly inconvenient. (laughs) I had a real good wipeout this morning. Like, did you? Went splat, first thing, first wave. I think we actually might have seen it. Were you out early? I was out early. And it was a bomb. It was a bomb, and I went splat. That was me. It was Jeff... Um, Clark, Jeff Kafka, myself, Co Rothman, Nathan Florence, Fuck. you know, we were all standing on like the cliff yeah. from the bay over and we're like, it was like flying. We're like, ah, I don't know about going out there. Like, ah, and then we see this bomb and then someone drop in and then just blow them. And they're like, Oh my God, that was gnarly. That guy got smoked. <laughs> Wait, no, no, that, that was you. That definitely wasn't me. You guys, that, that was wasn't. you. <laughs> I can't to believe finish that was my you. story. You guys, the primary feeling underwater and now even more so. Cause I know all you were watching the primary feeling was embarrassment. Like underwater feeling like, I don't ever want to come up from this. This is so horrible. That was a big wave. It's a big wave. Yeah, it was well, a big were, wave. Well, on oh, a, it's, is it on hot a, in here, you guys? I didn't know this. <laughs> on a day like today where there's one wave sets. Right. And there's 40 minute waves between sets. And, you know, with 60 guys out, you know, the chances of lining up with one and being in the spot is really tricky to do. So... When you do maybe miss one or you're on top of that ledge or you fall, you you almost like you're it's an embarrassment, too, because you're like, oh, man, I blew that opportunity and now I have to go kind of wait my turn and figure out how to get another opportunity. And, you know, everyone expected me to kick out. (laughs) Right. Well, I I also get really impatient early in early morning sessions because you see this line of people that are coming out. Yeah, you're rushing. Oh, God, I got to get one because, yeah, this is my shot right now. And make dumb decisions. 20 minutes, there's going to be 30 guys out. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny because we totally saw that. We watched it and we were tripping on it. And then it went flat for a while after that. And they were like, okay, we're going to give it a little bit for the tide to drop. Which was any consolation. It was a really big wave. And when the the tide is high, 
so much water displaces and stands up. It kind of goes more. Ones. It's funny. It almost is harder than low tide because low tide is already standing for so long. And when you're set as high tide, it slabs quicker. So you yeah. have to be like on your on it, you know? Yeah. Thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate it. You feel better now? Turning okay. this podcast into a yeah. Kyle therapy session. Kyle therapy 101. <laughs> yeah, you're making me feel much better about myself and everything that I've done to get to this place hey at least yeah. the frame before going down is gonna look it's gonna be crazy that's all that matters for the gram man for the, for gram. the gram yeah, yeah for your followers yeah so you're back you're flying to maui after this yeah so you know just kept extending those flights you know yep. kept seeing the swells it ended up being an amazing run of four days of big waves which is really rare to get anywhere in the world and i'm fortunate to have gotten it for this is my second run of four solid days of going really fast. <laughs> yeah. And we're Nathan Florence and I were talking out in the lineup about it. Like imagine how good you'd get if you were able to surf big waves as consistent as we've gotten. Cause you get more comfortable, of course, you know, and those long six week periods of no surf, sometimes big waves, you have to start from scratch sometimes, you know? And so it, it's just like, that's why you see guys chasing it all over the world. Getting reacclimated. I mean, Mavericks, it seemed like in the early days, it'd break 25 times a season. I mean, it was breaking. I mean, the longest day, some of the guys, they had their little notch thing going on. 82 days, they paddled out and caught waves at the bowl at Mavericks. In That's crazy. one winter. That's a lot. That's, That's a, a lot. lot. And uh, Grant Washburn yep. leading the charge. Yep. He's the notch on. crew. The Doc, notch crew, Grant, yeah. John. I know. I want to get him on the podcast. How... Um, how important is it to you, Kai, to catch a good wave in on a big wave on a big wave day? Like, do you feel like you internalize the last wave of the day? Yeah, I would say so. It's I don't think it's as intense as some of my friends that really like they'll they'll be like, okay, let's go in, and you'll catch a really good wave in, and they'll wait for an hour and a half before they come in, and we'd already surf forever, and you're like, dude, come in already, and it's a crappy day, but that sort of ego of having to get the a really good wave. You know, and um, for me in big waves, I always want to end on a good ride. It doesn't have to be my best ride necessarily, but um, even if I go on a really big wave and I wipe out and it's and it's at the end of the day, I'll go in. You know, it's like I'm not bothered by that. Usually up to that point, I've gotten so many good waves that it's not that I'm content, but I, I have a lot to think about right. to reflect on. Yeah. What do you have uh, going on in your next few weeks? Well, it's the holiday season now, and how often, as you know, big wave enthusiasts, do a huge swell come on Christmas Day? Doesn't look like that's going to happen this year. Looking at the forecast, weirder things have happened. It could just turn around, but going to be home. And because Mavericks is the last stop on the Big Wave World Tour, um, you know, I'll be just keeping an eye on this place, Mavericks, and about logging all the time you can out here is very important. And in a way, I really want this tour to finish up now because you get stressed all year because you don't want to get injured. Um, you want to perform at your absolute best, and that takes a mental focus about competing. And it'd be really cool to like finish this tour before the new year, which isn't going to happen now, but like kind of soon, and um, be able to just surf really big waves and push push yourself. Because to be honest, we're all competing against each other when we're out there anyway. Like it feels like a big heat. Like the other day, Twiggy, Grant Twiggy Baker and I were going back and forth, like jockeying for position, even though like one of us had maybe like waited longer, but it was fun. It was actually like 
kind of sparring for we were sparring in the middle of like 65 people it was really funny but it was just me and him kind of eyeballing like seeing a set and like who could go deeper you know and make it are there water sports that you will not do or met or do in a more mellow way uh before the tour is done um usually no i don't really hold back ever that has kind of like set me down for a minute probably the only two things i'll go mellow on because of the chances of injury are really high is jumping really high on my kites and doing maneuvers tricks um or jumping really big on windsurfers so like just catching air but when it comes to actual wave riding no i'll go ham as i can get you know as gnarly as i can go on waves but the the crazy thing is is just like you can get so smoked jumping 80 feet on a kite and you can get so smoked jumping 50 feet on a windsurfer just because gravity is really intense, you know, like, and you have the, the, the power of the wind in your kite or sail that not only do you get to that height, then you're falling by gravity, but the, it's pulling you down faster. And a lot of the top maneuvers that I'm trying to work on in those sports involves dangerous situations where the kite is lower than you are in the air or windsurfing where you're, you're spinning at such a velocity that, you know, you're probably rotating at 50 miles an hour. Right. Is there a trick you're working on right now? Uh, nothing that I'm really working on right now, sort of tricks that I've been working on for a while, like doing, but sometimes these really big maneuvers can go south quick, like, and they can hurt. I know like in kite surfing guys that do what is, what is called a mega loop and you can do variations of a mega loop where the kite ends up going below you and your weightlessness, but that power of this kite that could tow a freaking barge is pulling you towards the water at like 50 miles an hour, like an burst of ex- like speed. So you're getting G forces more than than I think you could get in almost any other water sport. And then you're doing a rotation at the same time. And if you mistime it, that pendulum for when the kite comes up in you, you can skip on the water. And you know it's really easy to blow ribs out, really easy to blow knees out if you try to stick it. And a lot of times you just get so hammered. Windsurfing, same thing. If you're doing double rotations in the air, your velocity kind of quickens with the sail, the, the sail pressure, the apparent wind that's created. So doing like double forward loops, it's called like double front flips, essentially. Um, if you don't get enough air or if you over rotate, you, you can get knocked out pretty good or you'll just get the meanest back slap and like need a, an adjustment. Kook slams. Kook slams, but no coup could slam that hard. Let's put it that way. Like yeah. you need a certain level to slam that hard. Yeah. You need to be this good to slam that hard. So, you know, he's going to just stick to uh, toe surfing like 50, 60 foot waves. Yeah. Because that's safe. The mellow stuff. It honest, no, like to be honest, everything I just said, I'll probably, I always like say that I won't do something and then I'll kind of go out and I'll be like, ah, oh, just one. Okay, I did it. Oh, that was good. And then, okay, I'm, I, if, it one doesn't count. You got to do it twice, and then eventually I'll do it till I get smoked, and then I'll kind of limp back to the beach, you know, like chill for a second and go, "Oh, that was so dumb." And then I know how to fix yeah, it. Yeah, and then oh wait, Frank, if I just pulled it a little harder there, I would have made it. <laughs> yes. And so no, I'm not gonna hold back at all. And I guess um, the fate is what I make, and I just gotta make it. You just gotta make That's it. it. <laughs> That's it. Make it. You just gotta. 100% commitment, you're probably going to make it. But if you worried about getting hurt, you're probably going to get hurt. I mean, that just seems like Murphy's Law there. Yeah. No, I love, like, talking about things that I don't actually do. 
<laughs> like I, always, up. I always like I have this thing where I always tell my friends I'm like yeah I never text and drive I just don't do it it's so <laughs> stupid to text and drive I don't know why anyone would and then the other day my buddy was like dude weren't you talking on a podcast about how you never text and drive I'm watching you text right now I'm like yeah but I it's way easier to just say it and then not do it I feel like <laughs> a little bit closer to achieving my goal every time I it's say it it's your better self right. or whatever or it's, see it's my smarter self when I say I'm talking, not gonna push that hard talking to but, yourself uh, I think it's just being not having I still need more experience to understand yeah even though I think I understand that you know holding back is a little bit okay you know like some this is gonna go to like a lot of these big wave surfers that are in contention for the big wave world title there's guys that when they're in the hunt for the world title, they'll actually skip epic sessions to save themselves for the contest because they've been surfing big waves longer as long as I've been alive, right? And they're they're absolutely smart for doing it. And but I couldn't for me it was just like, man, I never started surfing big waves to compete. It was always a spiritual thing for me, like a, a passion. And I'm not going to change my thing on that. So, you know, if and you're I get a frother. Hurt, so be, oh, yeah. Dude, frother. You're a frother. You're, you're making so, it too complicated. You're just a frother. <laughs> I think I'll be so pissed at myself yeah, if I yeah. miss away. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could have had that. Right. I just um, watched a, a TED talk that you dig. It's by a guy named Derek Sivers, and it's called Don't Talk About Your Goals. Oh, and that's cool. It's so. Um, most people think that you should talk about your goals to achieve them, but it turns out that if you talk about your goals, there's been a lot of psychological studies done on this. You feel closer. If you talk about them repeatedly to friends, to family publicly, you feel closer to achieving them than you actually are. So there are these, they took two studies, two groups and one group, um, that they told to talk about their goals a ton. And then they gave him this test. And then another group, they said, don't talk about your goals. And they gave him a test. And the group that talked about him, they quit sooner and they felt like they were closer to achieving them um, than they actually were. It's funny you say that because the- I've had this exact experience like recently where we're like, you know, if I have a, an idea for a trick that I'm trying to do in a sport or whatever, if I don't talk about it and I go out and it might take me a while, but I'll do it. I, I like, I do it right. I finish it. But as soon as I like get super excited about it, cause you get really enthusiastic about things and you want to share that enthusiasm. It's not that you're going to do something. You're going to be better than someone else. It's like, I'm just so enthusiastic about this. I, I can't hold it in any longer and I want to just do it. And the saddest, there's like a, probably a dopamine release in your brain. Well, it feels good to tell people about your goal because like you tell me about your goal. I say, dude, that's so awesome. You get that little dopamine hit and it creates what's called a social reality. Exactly. Right. And every time I've like wanted to do like a video or like a movie or or something and I like share the idea with someone because I'm so enthusiastic you know I spent all this time kind of storyboarding it out I never end up being able to finish it completely because something else comes up or whatever whenever I just kind of keep it to myself and I like only you know you have to tell certain people to to do certain things but you tell them as you go it always comes out better than what you expected you got more power and control over it as soon as you let it out you it kind of loses its let's focus yeah, I think you're right. Like the your personal focus, it just goes back to what you said, right? Yeah. And what what those guys were saying on that TED talk, right? And it becomes impersonal. It's interesting though that like right now in this culture, someone like you has to fight against 
constantly sharing because of Instagram, because of interviews, because of all this stuff. People are constantly want you to pulling, share. Pulling at you. Right? But to be the best that you can be, you have to guard against that simply to achieve the goal that everyone is giving you praise for in the beginning. Well, it's really interesting because what I've noticed being surrounded by the best surfers, the best water people, the best athletes in the world is they all have one thing that's pretty in common and they rarely go on social media. They rare, like they'll post because it's part of their job, their obligation to their sponsors. Um, but you won't see them scrolling. They won't, they won't, they won't actually know a lot was going on where we have so much information that, you know, a lot's going on. And, um, I started really trying to do that a lot more this whole last year where I would like for days, not even look at it. And there, you get this clarity. You're not, cause I think our brains can only handle so much information. And if you're, if the space in your brain is taken up with what other people are doing, which is, you know, it's awesome what other people are doing. But if you're trying to do something, you have a goal that you're trying to achieve, it takes space away from that. And um, what I call being hyper-focused, like so zoomed in on on what you're doing, I think you need to like, you can't be, you can't allow yourself to be exposed to necessarily what's going on around you. You have to be like very, more introvert. I'm an extrovert person, but I've had to learn how to be more introvert. It's distracting. It's yeah. just distracting. And um and like it's in the back of your head. I got mm -hmm. a tip for you: uninstall Instagram from your phone, and then when you want to look at it, you reinstall it, and then you uninstall it again. So it just becomes a nightmare. It becomes a nightmare. Yeah, you, well, you create see, these barriers to. I didn't want to make it, it harder for me to do it. I actually wanted to make it easier because I wanted to mentally have to fight <laughs> right. it more. Like, oh, I'm not gonna do it. You yeah. know, like, like just stare at it. Be yeah. like, be like, I don't want to scroll anything. You know, I'm just gonna the old like. I remember for like before this swell too, I wasn't on it at all. Like looking what was going on. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes you feel bad by not liking someone's thing or like commenting because you know that they know that you follow them or whatever. Like, and and you need to like, well, yeah, I totally. You're obligated. And it's no, like, no, you're like, like God, like, yeah. are they gonna like? Am, are they gonna be mad at me for not? And yeah. dude, no, but that's the weird thing. Is like people get mad at you if you don't comment on their stuff, or like they won't like you in person as much. It's really weird. I don't feel that way at all. But it's like, are they gonna like unfollow me or whatever? Which it shouldn't matter at all. And your truest friends don't care, of course. But then again, you know, you have people you look up to that you follow, and that there's an introduction there, whatever. And you're like, it's dude, funny. I had someone confront me in the lane parking lot last week. Because they sent me a message on Instagram and I didn't respond and they said, I know you looked at it because Instagram shows the little scene. fucking eyeball the scene, that shows yeah. that it's seen. I'm like, God damn it, Instagram. I thought you were on my side. Ratted you out. They, Instagram ratted oh, me I get, out. I get that all the time. I'm like sure. message requests that I don't see. Like I don't check my Facebook messages because there's so many and... I just don't, I can't get back to all of them, unfortunately, but like Instagram, I'll like look through them and like try to get back to people and whatever. I don't have time to get back to all of them. And I'm like super sorry about that. If that offends you in any way, but I've same thing. I've had people get like pretty frustrated and people I've never met on the beach. Like, dude, I sent you a message and you never like wrote me back. And I was like, well, like, sorry, but geez, like I, I don't, I feel yeah. like this pressure to have exactly. to written you back. Like, Ah, dude, I don't know. You know what? Dr. Seuss said it best. 
those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. He was a very wise person. Yeah. He was the creator of Whoville. I like so. his hat. Yeah. Yeah, Whoville. That place is crazy. I always, you know what? I always think, which I think he nailed, is, you know, they talk. he always talks about, like, the speck of dust and, like, you know, the whole Whoville is always in, like, either a speck of dust or, like, in, in a snowflake. And it's falling. And in reality... We, we live for a billion years, or there's like a billion years in our universe, but in some other, you know, bigger expanse or whatever, it's really, it, it could be as long as a leaf falling from a tree down, right? But it's like time differences, right? I always think that going like, what if I'm just like on like a little water droplet falling off of something? We <laughs> are, man. We are. We it's, are. it's all perspective. I will finish this podcast off with a story, man. Up in San Francisco in, ni- in the 1960s, there was a guy named Stuart Brand. Stuart Brand was sitting on top of a, an apartment building in Ocean Beach, and he dropped LSD. And he could then see the curvature of the Earth curving down out over the Pacific Ocean. And he had the insight that the basis of all of humanity's ills was that we didn't have the perspective that we are on this pale blue dot suspended in vast vacuum space. And that if we got that perspective, maybe we would change our behavior. So this guy, Stuart Rand in the 60s, he puts on a green top hat and a white jumpsuit, and he starts petitioning with a sign to NASA. And he says, why haven't they shown us a photo of the whole Earth yet? This is a time before humanity had seen that now famous photo of the whole Earth. He gets kicked off campus. The San Francisco Chronicle reports on the story, and he has his platform. And it turns into this whole campaign where... All these people from Berkeley, all these hippies, tell NASA to turn the cameras around and take a photo of the whole Earth. They finally do. Two years later is the first Earth Day, which we still have now. It gave rise to the ecology movement, global politics, this kind of sense that we are on this finite planet. We are somehow together. We are somehow together. And it's because humanity got to see ourselves as the pale blue dot as the snowflake a look in the mirror a look in the mirror well um if you ask kelly slater there's still a lot of people that don't believe it (laughs) (laughs) those flat earthers we'll save that for another podcast middle of the desert do tell do tell you guys that was so fun thank you for taking the time thank you really enjoy this thank you that's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song called Mermaid Legs by the Getaway Dogs. They are a local band from Santa Cruz, and they sent me music. If you are a musician and you want your music played at the end of this podcast, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can email these voice memos that I love getting from you. Where are you in this moment right now? Give, you, give me some details about your situation and record it on your phone using the Voice Memos app and email it to info at kyle.surf. If you like this episode, you might also like episode number 96 with Albie Lair. Here's a quick clip from that. <laughs> How can the not best surfer in the world do his not best surfing and still get a 10? Because that happens all the time, every year. That does not. Once again, that was episode 96 with Albie Lair. I will see you all soon. Thank you again to Mudwater. Thank you to Santa Cruz Medicinals for making this show possible. And with that, happy holidays, and I'll see you in the new year.
She grew. 